That's how good our Father is. He doesn't waste an experience. All the good that He is and even all the evil that people can do. He intends it all for your good. His glory, your good. I don't know about you, I've learned much more in failure and adversity than I ever have from success and blessing. I love blessing. I love success. Failure has taught me much more because then I realize I'm loved as I am because Christ is who He is. And I don't have to be. I don't have to become because Jesus is. That's the good news I'm going to share with you. Let's pray together. Jesus, what a privilege to gather with my family to sing these songs written by other people in your family, Lord, that you've gifted to put into words and and give musical expression, Lord, to things we know and feel and struggle with. Here we are, blessed and successful and also broken and failed. Thank you that you are sufficient in all of those circumstances. Now here, let the good news of your word and the good news of your son fill every heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning. If we haven't met, my name's Bruce Garner. Prepare for excitement. (laughs) Not from me, but from somebody, some people you're going to meet a little bit later. My wife and kids will tell you I'm not that exciting. (laughs) This church nearly gets the dancing out of me sometimes. It, it wants to come out, but the sight of me dancing has actually angered people in the past. So just know my heart's that full this morning and gathering with you and singing with you, and now we get to open the Bible together. It'll take me a moment, it'll take me a while this morning to get there, but please, to save time later, open your Bibles in 1 Corinthians 15 and just hold the spot. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, and just hold your spot, bookmark it and set it aside for a minute because we're going, we're headed in that direction, but it'll take us some time to get there, and you'll hear from other people before we arrive. Everybody have it? 1 Corinthians 15, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's perfectly fine. There should be one near you in the seats. If you'd like to, we'd love for you to take that Bible home with you if you don't have one at home. In fact, we'd like any of you to take Bibles home with you every week if you'll share them with somebody else. That's why they're there, okay? They don't do anybody any good closed in this auditorium during the week. If you can put them in the hands of people, read the Bible with them, share what you find and what you discover in it, that's why it's there. Now, we're... February already. That went quickly, didn't it? Can you think about the best news you've received so far in 2018? Just in your own life. Some of you got jobs. Some of you welcome children. Some of you are dating and thrilled about it. Some of you aren't dating and you're equally thrilled about it. (laughs) Just depends on who that person is and how that's going. But just think about the best news you've had so far this year. You got it? Yeah? Now let me ask you this. That good news, did you tell anybody else about that good news? Bet you did. Good news, like love itself, is something that never gets old. No one has ever said, I'm too loved, I don't want any more love. No one has ever said, I am 
full of acceptance and value from other people. I don't want anybody else to ever accept me again. We never tire of it. That's why we'll never tire of God. When we are finally with Him, when it says God is love, you will never grow tired of Him. You will always enjoy Him. In fact, I'm convinced from the Bible, your enjoyment of God will grow down through the ages in glory. And good news is like that. If you've received good news, you never tire of it. In fact, having good news makes you hungry for more. And the strange thing about good news is you love to share it. Whether that's a phone call or a text message or if you're a social media person, right, you blast out that picture and here I am at my new job, here's our brand new baby, here's my new car, here's this guy, here's this girl, whatever the good news represented to you, even if it's a meal, right, that you put on Instagram, and some of you really stop, it's uh, enough, okay? <laughs> Those of us pulling through the Taco Bell drive through are saddened by, uh, by the comparison. But whatever the good news is to you, the natural inclination is to share it. And the strange thing is, in sharing the good news, your own joy grows. Because if you share it with people who genuinely like you and love you, they're happy for you, and it just gets better and better. That's going to happen later today. I understand there's some kind of football game later this afternoon, right? <laughs> And what that means is, as one side eventually wins, strangers are going to hug in stadiums, right? There are two guys right now who have never met, who a few hours from now will share a manly embrace, right? And receive each other as long-lost brothers because some millionaire stranger caught the ball in the back of the end zone and the place will go crazy with joy and people will look around for strangers to high-five. That's the way good news works. Really interesting guy named uh, Colonel Dave Grossman says that grief shared is divided and joy shared is multiplied. That's the nature of good news. And today we're going to talk about good news. We're going to talk about in this series as we finish our series on growing up and what it takes, how God gives life to someone, brings someone to life in Christ, and then grows them up. We're going to start in what most people think of as the last step of maturity, which is evangelism, which is sharing that good news. The good news of Jesus, what the Bible calls in the English Bible what is referred to as the gospel. If you're not long in church or have maybe your first time in church, gospel is not just a genre of music. Gospel is an old English word that means good news. And later we'll read the word gospel right out of the Bible and understand all that means is good news. There is a message to be shared. More importantly, there is a person, Jesus, to be shared, and he is good news. And the point is, this journey that we've been on of becoming like Jesus, which we call discipleship, when someone gives their life to Christ, turns away from their sin, and puts Jesus in charge of their life, at that moment they become a disciple of Jesus. They become a Christian, a follower of Christ. And discipleship without evangelism is incomplete. If we only talk about helping people who are in the family of God grow up, we haven't closed the loop. Healthy families grow. 
Healthy families welcome new members. They welcome babies into the family, and that is exactly what God is doing. So we should never think as following Jesus as simply our own personal strength and maturity, our becoming more like Jesus unto ourselves. The final, the best, and for many people, the first expression of actually knowing Jesus and knowing the good news is actually wanting to tell someone about Him. It may not have been your experience, but I've, I've talked to countless Christians in more than one country who look back fondly to the days when they first trusted Christ. And the light came on, and they saw reality for what it is, and they understood sin and their separation from God. They understood that God is a just and holy God who always punishes sin. And if His punishment seems to delay, it's only because He's loving and patient, and He wants us to come back to Him. But they understand Jesus, they begin to follow Him, and many times Christians can't be quiet about it. And they just tell everybody because that's the nature of really good news. You want to tell people about this person, this event, this change that has swept into your life and made everything so different. So today we're going to talk about evangelism or sharing Christ. Now here's one of the disconnects and here's one of my challenges. I say evangelist or evangelism and what do you think about? What comes, Billy Graham, everybody, in three services, everybody mentioned of Billy Graham. And that's understandable, and actually that's a good thing. Billy Graham is an evangelist, and if you've seen the old rallies, right, he's, he, I think he's in his late 90s now, he's not preaching anymore. But before there was Greg Laurie at Anaheim Stadium, there was Billy Graham filling stadiums across the country, and Billy Graham only had one message, and that message was Jesus. And thousands of people listened, and many came to faith in Christ. I know some of you, he was an influence in your life, and he was one of the steps that God used to bring you to a personal saving knowledge of Jesus. But when you think about evangelism with big stadium lights and big crowds, you say, well, that lets me out because I'm not going to a stadium. I hate microphones. I would faint if somebody put me on the spot like that. Well, here's what evangelism, here's what it actually is. This is kind of a homemade definition that I've developed with the help of people that are smarter than I am. Evangelism, and evangelism itself means good news telling. That's all it is. Evangelism is sharing the person and the work of Jesus. In other words, evangelism is telling someone who Jesus is and what Jesus does, His person and His work. What's He like and what does He do? It's sharing the person and the work of Jesus with someone who doesn't know Him in the prayerful hope that they will trust Him, be saved, and become His disciples. That's it. That's all it is. Now, you look through that definition. Evangelism is sharing the person and the work of Jesus with someone who doesn't know Him. Not just as a random fact or a personal preference, but with the prayerful hope. In other words, you're talking to God in prayer with the hope that that person will trust Jesus, be saved by Jesus, and start following Jesus, become His disciple. Now, does that definition require a stadium? No, it doesn't require it. A stadium may be involved. You may have one man, one woman talking to thousands. 
Or you may have two friends, two family members over coffee saying one person to another, have I ever told you, we've talked about everything in our lives and I love you, but I'm afraid I've never talked to you about what matters most in my life. I'm afraid I've never shared with you anything about the one person who matters most to me. His name is Jesus. And you begin to tell them who Jesus is and what Jesus has done with the prayerful hope that that person will have the lights come on and that God will do for them what he once did for you. They will turn away from their sin, trust Jesus instead, be saved by Jesus, and then do what you're doing and follow Jesus, become his disciple, grow to be more like him. This is evangelism. This is our task. And it wasn't a trivial thing to Jesus. In fact, we find in the life of Christ, Jesus five different times in all four Gospels, which are the word the same, it's a little confusing, but it's the same word to describe the four biographies of Jesus were given in the Scriptures. Four the life of Jesus is told from four different perspectives by four different men, and then Luke, who wrote the third gospel, also wrote the sequel, the companion volume, the book of Acts. And in every one of those retellings of the life of Christ, in every one, the writer tells us that before Jesus went back to glory, he spoke to his disciples and gave them, gave us this mandate, this responsibility to tell the world. Let me show you, Matthew 28. Jesus has died on the cross, he's come back from the dead, and it says Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, all authority is in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Wow. There's not one person in human history, before or after Jesus, that will ever say that without sounding and being crazy. Because what Jesus says is, I'm in charge of everything. I'm in charge of things you cannot see, and I'm in charge of the world around you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And here's the so what. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. In other words, tell everybody to follow me, to learn from me, to put themselves under my teaching, under that authority, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, look, I am with you always to the end of the age. In other words, Christian, Jesus not only gives you the responsibility of sharing his life and work, he promises to go with you and to stand beside you and to give you courage. And when you fail and fall flat on your face in doing it, as I have more times than I'd like to admit, he will comfort you and give you peace and give you encouragement. And he will give you wisdom and memory and insight, and he will simply be with you all the way. That's Matthew. This is Mark. Much quicker. Read it with me, in fact. It's so short. Jesus is speaking, and it says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Tell everyone in creation this good news. Here's Luke. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law, the Mos in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. A word of explanation. The law of Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, that's shorthand in Jesus' time for the Old Testament. Roughly two-thirds of your Bible is the Hebrew Scriptures. 
things written down, check this, if you're not familiar with the story, if you're not familiar with these biblical facts, most of the Bible you're holding was written some 700 to 1,000 years before Jesus was ever born, and God wrote down in detail the life, the birth, the death, and the resurrection of His Son up to a 1,000 years before it happened. And what Jesus is saying to these disciples, everything you've ever heard in the synagogue, every bit of Scripture that has ever been read and explained to you, all the things that the rabbis told you about Scripture, they were all pointing back to me. They were pointing forward, rather, to my life. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. What a moment that must have been, where Jesus supernaturally reaches into their minds so that they'll get it. Have you had that experience? Or you're reading the Bible and suddenly something clicks, and you've read that a hundred times, but it's never spoken to you, the light has never come on. Jesus did that in a supernatural way and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance, in other words, people turning around, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. In other words, this idea of Christians sharing the gospel was not a last-minute thing. As it turns out, Jesus was a masterful planner. He didn't gather the disciples as a last-minute, oh, by the way, I nearly forgot kind of moment. This was the plan from the very beginning. John has this from Jesus to those disciples closest to him. Read this with me as well. It says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Watch this. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Wow. In the same way that the Father one day sent the Son to fulfill things written long before Jesus was born on earth, now Jesus says, I'm going home and I'm sending you. In the same way the Father sent me, in that same way I'm sending you. And the book of Acts, the setting, you'll have to read it for yourself later. The disciples are astonished. They're literally left with their eyes and mouth wide open after Jesus said this to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. I hope you've never had to go to court, but everybody, at least from TV, is familiar with what a witness does. What does a witness do? What's the role of the witness? They testify. They tell openly what they've seen and what they heard. It's not their part to judge. The decision is not in their hands. A witness is someone who gives an account truthfully of what they saw and what they heard. And when their witness is done, they're done. That's all they're asked to do. That's all we're asked to do. What I'm trying to tell you is simply this. Jesus' last commandment should be our first priority. The things that Jesus told us just before going back to glory should be the things that are of first importance. It should be at the top of our list. And now, I want you to meet a few people. Three people, three ordinary people from our church. That's all we've got here, by the way, if you're new. All we have here are ordinary people, okay? There are no extraordinary people among us. There are some wonderful people. There are some loving people. But God just, He just made us all very ordinary. He made us out of the same stuff. He loves us all the same. 
okay? And I want you to meet three friends, two of my brothers in this family, one of my little sisters in this family. First, I'd like you to meet Jim Ross. And I'm going to ask Jim a couple questions because Jim is one of those guys who can't help but tell people about Jesus. Okay, Jim, as you're coming up here, let me ask you first, sir. We've just been looking at Jesus telling us to do this, but now, 2,000 years later after Jesus actually said these words, you got started actually doing it. How did that happen, sir? How did you get started in sharing Christ with others? Uh, the first time was at our old church. We used to live in Torrance, and uh, there was a lady that sat over here on this side of the church, and she was real faithful, and she was saved, and she'd come every service and had her daughter there, two daughters. And I knew her husband, and he would drop her off at church, and then he would come pick her up. Uh, and I thought, well, he, she's sitting over here by herself, and this guy needs to be saved. So without uh, prompting of the pastor, uh, that was the first time I felt compelled to go and witness on my own to somebody. Um, so that night after the church service, I caught him in the parking lot when he came to pick her up. I said, hey, Johnny, come on to the parking lot. I want to talk to you for a minute. Is that okay? He said, yeah. Well, after that, I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord. And I thanked him for that. It was just a wonderful experience. Thank you. And, Jim, everybody's got their style, right? We're all called to be witnesses. How, how do you witness? How do you do it? Well, I used to be pretty blunt about it, you know, just ask, uh, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and then try to go from there. But a few years back, my brother-in-law, uh, he's six to eight years older than I am, um, when we'd have family gatherings and things, uh, we'd talk about family and the Bible and Jesus and everything. So for over 20 years, probably 25 years, this went on, and finally my sister-in-law called and said, hey, Ken got saved, so, you know, you guys come up and visit with us for a little while. So we went to Santa Clarita, and I asked Ken, I said, how did it finally happen that you realized you needed to receive Jesus Christ after all the talk that we've done? And he said, well, my pastor was smart enough to ask me, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And do you need him as your personal Savior? And he said, that's what did it. So he said, let me ask you, after 20 years, why did you not ask me if I knew Jesus Christ as my personal Savior? Ouch. So that changed my um, attitude toward witnessing. And there's no reason you can't just go say, well, how's your relationship with Jesus Christ? Or you know Jesus. Amen. So you just direct, huh? Right. Okay, sir. Um, you know, to follow that up a little bit, a few months back, we had a memorial service here for uh, one of our brothers, Farrell uh, Buckles, and there were some Santa Ana PD guys out here by the coffee pot, and it was my job to make the coffee, so I went over and told them, hey, do you guys mind getting out of the way? I gotta make the coffee. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they said, oh, we'd never stop a man from making coffee, you know? So, uh, I made the coffee, I got it going, and um, one of the guys said, hey, how long have you been coming to this church? I said, I don't know, six, eight years, but it doesn't really matter. He mm -hmm. said, what do you mean it doesn't matter? I said, well, 
you ask Jesus to be your Savior, and he'll put you in the church he wants you to be in. Hmm. Just like that. Thank you, brother. Hey, did, you, did anybody notice that we're brothers? And How about that? The Father dressed us the same this morning? Yeah, we're... Uh, we're starting a boy band. We've got half of it together. If you, if you have or, or can find a shirt like this, you're welcome. Okay, Jim. Jim just comes right out and tells him. Now I want you to meet Nathan. Okay, Nathan, Nathan uh, is trained as a CPA, has a, has a big boy job down in Irvine. And he's one of the most diligent faithful, warm, personal evangelist I believe I've ever met. My friend and brother, Nathan Wilson. Good morning. So, Pastor Bruce asked me to share two things. First, why did I start sharing my faith and why do I continue to do so? And then number two, how do I do it? So, first, why? For me, the number one compelling reason for me to share the good news is the high stakes and the urgency that are involved. Every day, millions of people die. Most of them not believing the gospel. Many of them never even hearing the gospel. Combine that with the scriptures that we've been studying, that Pastor Bruce has been teaching to us this morning. We're commanded to do this. And as I study the scriptures, scriptures around those scriptures throughout the whole Bible, I learn more about God, and I learn more about who I am, and how much I need him, and how I realize what he's done for me personally, and I can't help but share. Pastor Bruce mentioned something about a ball game this afternoon, right? Millions and millions of people are going to be talking about dudes tossing around a pigskin. Well, if you saw a celebrity at lunch today, how many of you are going to tell somebody before the end of the day? All of us. You have a good meal. You post it somewhere, right? We naturally want to share good news. Why don't we want to share about the one who can change our eternal destination from hell to heaven? Why don't we want to share about the person who can strengthen us every time we're weak, the one who comforts us? Every time that we mourn, the one who provides for our every need. And that's the first one. The second one, how do I do it? Well, I used to sit back and sometimes I'd grab my Bible and sit in a chair and pray and say, Lord, you know, bring someone to sit next to me and I'll share the gospel with them. Well, that it wasn't very successful. There's only one time that someone's actually ever approached me and said, what must I do to be saved? And that was awesome, but it normally doesn't work that way. I have to be very intentional. I have to reach out, out of my comfort zone. I have to invite people to lunch, invite people to go to coffee, invite people over for dinner at our house. Sometimes it's talking to as many people as I can to try and tell them the good news. Other times it's focusing in very narrow, just a couple families, a couple people, and going as deep and continuously as we can to share the love of Christ. And of course, over the course of those, whether it's a coffee conversation or if it's a few months or years of evangelism, it's sharing who Jesus is and what he's done for me and what he can do for you as well. 
All of us have been given an ear with someone or multiple people. Who is it that God has given you an ear with? Someone that I don't know. Someone Pastor Bruce and no one on staff knows. All of us have the ability to speak life into someone else's life by sharing what we know about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I urge you as your fellow brother in Christ to please use your influence and your ear to tell about our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Nathan. And now for someone entirely different. If you've ever met Melissa Appleby, I guarantee you, you remember meeting her. Okay, she is energy condensed into a small human form. Uh, she's part of our church staff, and we are just absolutely delighted with her. I believe she's only 20 years old. Is that true, Melissa? Yeah. Only 20. But God saved her, I think, I believe, four years ago at Marina High School. She's never been the same, and the people she's meeting will never be the same. I want her to share the same thing Nathan and Jim has regarding how she shares Christ with others. Would you help me welcome Melissa? good to be with you guys this morning. I'm a little nervous, uh, <laughs> but thanks for just loving me unconditionally, no matter what happens. Um, so let's see, why I share my faith, um, why we should all share the gospel. Um, when you think about the gospel, that God loved us, loves us so much that he sent his one son to die for our sins, and that Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose back to life, that's crazy. Think about it. Actually, think about it. Um, the gospel is so beautiful, it's so wild, and it's so crazy. And even just looking at it from a big picture, you know that a really long time ago, God created us out of love, and that we were his wayward, rebellious creation, and we went so far away from him, but that didn't stop God from loving us and from wanting us. So in love, he sent Jesus, his one son, and he lived with us, and he died for us, and he, he was literally dead. His heartbeat stopped. They laid him in a tomb. People mourned for him. And then three days later, life pulsed through his veins again, and his heart started beating, and he rose back to life. And Crosspoint, if Jesus actually rose back to life, that changes everything. It literally changes everything, and we have to tell people. And it's crazy because like Jesus came once, 2,000 years ago, he's coming back again. And this time... Come on. This time when he comes back again, he is bringing the kingdom of heaven with him. And we will live forever and ever and ever for all of eternity in the kingdom of heaven, a land of goodness and of glory and love. It will be a world like this because this is his creation and his creation is good. But it will be without all of the effects and the brokenness of sin and evil that currently plague our world. My dad will never have cancer again. My car will never break down again. I'm never going to be late for a meeting again, ever. No sin, no brokenness, no evil, none of it. And if you like to paint, you're going to paint in eternity. If you like to hike and climb mountains, you're going to do that. You're going to run and not grow weary. The fruit will be juicier. Picture chocolate in heaven. That's crazy. <laughs> and that will be our reality one day. And right now we're living in this time kind of like a tension because Jesus came 2,000 years ago, but now he's ascended with the Father in heaven and he's coming back again. But we're kind of in the middle of those two right now. And right now Jesus is using us 
to bring the kingdom of heaven into our world, into every single corner of our lives. So when we set foot in a coffee shop, we want to bring heaven there. We want to tell people about Jesus. When you show up to work every day, bring heaven there. In your relationships, in your family, wherever you are, God is using us to tell people about him, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Because one day, that will be our reality. That will be our reality. You know, I used to think that evangelism was just inviting people to church. And that's really good. And that's healthy and it's fruitful and we should be doing that. But the gospel of Jesus meets people right where they're at. You can invite them to church or you could just tell them the gospel of Jesus right there. Because if the Holy Spirit comes upon their hearts and if they receive the love and forgiveness of Christ, they become a part of the church. And it's only natural that in that they will willingly join a local congregation and meet up every single weekend by weekend by weekend to be prayed for and loved on and encouraged because we become a family and that's what Christians do. Um, just to end, I want to tell a little story. Last week, my friend Thomas and I were at the in and out off of Harbor and we were leaving, driving away. And um, outside of the motel that's in the same parking lot, there's a guy standing out there, um, probably like early 20s, about the same age as us. Um, and let me just paint a picture of this guy for you. Um, Talking like face tattoos, neck tattoos, you know, like the baggy clothing, like smoking a cigarette, like scars all over. Um, but we really felt it on our heart just that we needed to tell him the gospel. So we parked our car. We go over to him. Um, and I was like, hi, like, what's your name? And he was like, oh, I'm Jersey. I was like, hi, I'm Melissa. Like, this is Thomas. Um, and I just said, hey, like, it's really on my heart to tell you how much Jesus loves you. He was like, thanks. And Thomas asked him if he's religious. Um, and he said, well, like, I practice voodoo. Um, and I was like, oh, like, that's cool. <laughs> but I was like, in that moment, we got to say, hey, have you ever heard the gospel before? And he was like, no, like, I don't think so. And I was like, oh, can we tell you? Like, can we tell you the gospel? And he was like, sure. So it's 11 p.m. We're standing in a parking lot outside of an in and out on a motel telling this guy. He was actually, he's actually in jail right now. He went to jail on Friday. But telling this guy who's never heard the gospel before who Jesus is and how much Jesus loves him and how Jesus came for him. Crosspoint, the gospel isn't just for people who look like us. It's not just for people who agree politically with us. It's not just for people who have business jobs nine to five with a comfy salary and a retirement plan. The gospel came for every single person, and we have the joy to go out and everywhere we go tell people how much God loves them. Because listen, everyone is looking for Jesus. They just don't know it. They have a hole inside of their hearts because they were created by God and they need to come to know God. So Crosspoint, just to close, to wrap this up, one day Jesus is coming back again. And we will live forever in the kingdom of heaven, the land of goodness and glory and love. And that's all because God loves us so much that he sent his one son to die for our sins. And he's alive right now. And he wants to forgive every single one of us and make us a new creation. So go tell people. We're in it together. Told you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Melissa. Now... In closing, look at 1 Corinthians 15 with me. Look at verse 3. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing to this wayward church. 
There's gross sexual immorality in the church. They're divided. They're suing each other. They're mistreating one another. And right at the end, he ends his long letter reminding them of this good news. Look at verse 3. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul has a message. He's received it. He didn't make it up. He received it, and he's passing it along. We're like letter carriers. We don't tamper with the contents. We deliver the goods. We bring the package. We don't pry into it. We don't change it. We don't compromise it. We just deliver it. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. It wasn't random. It was predicted. It was promised 700 and 1,000 years before Jesus died on that Roman cross. We were told he would die for our sins it wasn't a movement that got out of hand. It wasn't that Jesus offended the wrong person. His death was promised and written down. And you can read those promises in the Bible you're holding today. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then it goes on to name names and name groups of people who physically saw Jesus back from the dead. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. Then to the twelve, his original disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. In other words, some have already died, but there were 500 people at once seeing Jesus for themselves. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And here's what turned Paul around from a hater and a skeptic to the most fierce believer and lover of Jesus maybe ever. Paul writes in verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now let's pull out the facts of the gospel in verse 3 and 4. Paul says this good news is a matter of first importance. It's not a secondary thing. It's what we lead with. It's our first priority. It's what matters most. What are the facts? Verses 3 and 4, what are the facts of this good news? What happened first? Christ died for what reason? For our sins. And that was predicted. That was in the scriptures. Then what happened? Verse 4. He was buried. Why was he buried? Because he was actually killed. It's not a symbol. It's not a metaphor. It's a historical reality. Jesus died on a cross and was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then he was raised on the third day. And that also had been predicted in keeping with the scriptures. One pastor, Greg Gilbert, has said, the gospel is this, it is God, it is man, it is Christ, and it is a response. A holy God in heaven who made us to love him and enjoy him forever, but man, the crown of his creation, sinned against him, preferred his own way. We, each one of us, thought we knew better than God chose our own path, and 700 years before his birth, Isaiah the prophet said, we have all gone astray like sheep. We've each gone to our own way. That's what man did. God made man to love man and enjoy him, but our sin broke that relationship, put us infinitely far from God, so Christ stepped in. 
And Christ became a man and literally was born into a human family as the Son of God, born of a virgin, dead on a cross, buried in an actual human tomb, and raised from the grave so that if anyone believes him, he will be saved. God, man, Christ, and these facts, they're not values, they're not preferences, these are historical facts. It's actual, literal, real good news calls for a response. What am I trying to tell you? It's our responsibility to share it, friend, Christian, fellow Christ follower, because the gospel came to you on its way to someone else. God saved you so that someone else would hear the good news from you. Pastor Robert, Robbie Gallaty, whose ministry I admire and am learning from, said it like that. Gospel came to you because it was headed to someone else. Paul gave the gospel. He gave it to Timothy. Timothy told others. They told still others. And 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world, here we are. That ministry, that energy, that plan continues. Why hasn't God taken you home yet? Why hasn't he left it in the hands of the so-called Christian professionals? Because you're in a corner of the world. You're in a network of relationships that are unique to you. You're the good news teller. You're the one who can tell them about Jesus. They may not know Jesus, but they know you. And you know the good news, and you can share it. And you can be as blunt as Jim Ross, though, you know, it's not recommended for all of us. Jim told me, and he told a couple of our meetings this week, I get away with this because I'm little and they can't punch me. <laughs> blunt may work for you. Other people are kind and patient and draw people out with questions. Some people give tracts and ask people to read them and talk to them about it later. Some of us send emails and private messages and send long letters. Whatever the good news, however you share the good news, the fact of the matter is you need to share it. So in closing, let me ask you two things. The first is for you who may not be absolutely sure, and I want to imitate Jim's pastor in Torrance. Do you personally know Christ as Savior? Are you absolutely certain that you're on your way to heaven? If you had to stand before God yourself, all on your own today, and give an account for the life he's given you, are you certain that you are now forgiven? I'm not asking you if you're hoping so. I'm not asking you if you're trying. I'm asking you if you're certain. Because the good news of this gospel means that Jesus died to make it a no-so, not a hope-so kind of thing. And if you don't know for sure, my invitation to you is to even while I'm speaking, you turn to Jesus in prayer and say, Jesus, I understand the fact that you died for my sin. I sinned. I'm guilty. I'm separated from you. Please forgive me. Save me. Take charge of my life. Teach me to follow you. I don't know much else, but I know that you died to save me. I believe that you can. Please do so this afternoon and be saved. And if you do that, my final request for you is that you would let us know on your response card. You'll put that in the offering basket when it goes by or turn it in to us at a little table where we have a gift of coffee for you. And if you know Jesus... Here's my question for you. Who are your three? Nathan referred to people you have an ear with. Who are three people in your world that you care about that you're not certain know the good news? They may be friends. They probably are family. They may be coworkers or classmates. 
Who are three people in your world that you could present the good news to in the hopeful, with the hopeful prayer that they will turn to Jesus? Can you take a minute and write down their names? And we're going to pray for them together before we conclude our service. Who are your three? Start closest to you. Start with your family and your friends. There may be more than three, but my specific invitation to you is that you will write down at least three. And then we will pray together. Let's pray. Lord, my, there are more than three. They're as close as a mile away and as far as the other side of the country. Lord, move in our hearts. Give us boldness. Give us love. Nathan spoke of loving you so much that he just feels compelled to tell people who you are. Melissa spoke with amazement and wonder that you would love her and love us this way. And why wouldn't we want to tell them? Jim spoke directly, clearly, bluntly even. But just asking people whether they know about you, whether they trust you and love you. In our own way, Lord, help us love you and love the three or the ten or the twelve or however many, Lord, you've put in our lives. Remind us that it has nothing to do with temperament or personality. We are just those who share the best news. And we commit these three. Across this church family, Lord, that will represent probably 2,000 people who you've placed in our collective life so that we can share the good news. I pray most of all for the man, the woman, maybe even a child, Lord, in this service who doesn't know you for certain. I pray that right now you would move in his heart or hers and that she or he would turn to you and say, Jesus, I believe you. I'm sorry for my sin. Take my sin away. I accept your full payment of it. Give me your love and your forgiveness so that I may never have to face your justice. Save me and teach me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, receive this offering. We give it as those who have been saved. We give it so that the gospel would spread from this corner to every corner of the world. In Christ's name.